0: Hi, it's Dustin Lanier. Thanks for listening. Please find me on LinkedIn for original public sector operations content every week. And please reach out to me if I and my team of procurement professionals at Civic Initiatives can help you be a public procurement change agent. Today I spoke for the Wisconsin Association of Public Procurement in one of their December meetings, and I was asked to do my presentation on Five Things I Wish I Knew, which is which is a presentation I pulled together based on some of my own experience in both the purchasing side and the vendor side. And I do it in a Jeopardy style format. So it asks people questions and generates a little bit of conversation. I find this is also good for reverse vendor fares and I've done it in one or two of those settings. So I've clipped 10 minutes of it. and get through the first four segments, just to give you a taste of the content. If you're interested in the overall content, please reach out to me. And if you have a chapter or a state level procurement event where you need some additional content, please reach out to me and happy to talk to you about either the five things I wish I knew piece of content, the other speech that I'm doing these days around it's go time how public procurement shops attract and retain talent. And we also do new content on a regular basis. And I'm happy to talk to you about what you need. So with no further ado, I hope you enjoy. Before I went into the state, I was with a couple of different technology companies, some startups, and we were dealing with how to get government contracts, and then I was in government for 10 years. I was in the IT, uh, the CIO track of work. And then I also, I ran a program called the Council on Competitive Government, and we used to do category style solicitations. And now I'm in a program that works with procurement organizations on various operations and transformation projects. So we do a lot of work helping with looking at cooperative contracts, looking at catalogs, looking at helping them build out RFPs. We also respond to a lot of RFPs. So I thought it would be interesting to do something on what is it like to actually be in the other chair and what is it like to be on the other side? because I think if buyers better understand the vendor experience and vendors better understand the buyer experience, that it's, it helps build a better understanding and a better relationship. And we need good relationships between buyers and vendors to be able to make use of their skill sets. So I have in here five topics for each on what it's like being a buyer and what it's like being a vendor. I will pick through some of these in in an order and then ask you guys to chime in, either in chat or out loud, about the answers or what you guys think some of the answers to the questions are. So, procurement shops are under heavy blank per buyer. I do have my chat window open now, so. Workload, exactly so. So yes, procurement shops are under enormous pressure. And again, if I'm speaking into a room with a bunch of vendors, then it's helping them understand like why maybe they can't get things that they expect to get out of the buyer sets. So they're always under enormous pressure. And this was always true. And then I'm sure many of you guys have heard the phrase, the great resignation. It's been a new term that people have been saying a lot. So over 25 million people quit their jobs in the first seven months of the year. And then I haven't updated this slide, but 4.4 million people quit their jobs in September. Now, that doesn't mean that they quit and didn't do anything else, but it means there's a lot of motion. And so, you know, buyers may be expected to handle five to 10 or more work uh, RFPs at the same time through various levels of completeness. It may be a combo of, you know, starting them and then finishing them and then working through the evaluation process. But vendors really should have a better understanding of how much pressure that there is on procurement shops to turn and drive this level of work. And then if an evaluation committee is made up of multiple people and those people leave for some reason or somebody's out of town then everything can come to a stop even though other people can work just because that's where it is and then of course if there's legal processes afterwards then it drags out after a selection has happened so then being a vendor for 200 so from a vendor perspective where should the statement of purpose of like what is this bit about where should it be in an RFP I, I wish that was true guys, you've got it correct. I wish it was true. I just, ha- I, I, the last three bids that I've picked up that I've had to go through, you have to go through 70 pages of other things in order, find, in order to find the statement of purpose in the RFP. So from a vendor experience, I get solicitations that say consulting services in the title. I don't know what that is. So then I have to go and I have to pull the bid well then the bid may require me to log in in order to get the in order to get the bid and so I have to go through all of this and then I find out it was consulting services for sidewalk planning well I just wasted 30 minutes trying to find out if that bid had to do for me considering as buyers how you communicate with vendors make it very clear like even in the title like what is this for so that people don't dig around and then when I see scope on page 70 and literally no introduction of what it is. I had one the other day that was, um, their introduction was about the guiding principles of their organization. Laudable, but doesn't tell me whether this is for me. So scope on page seventy. When I've asked some people like, why do you do that? Why are you not driving it into the top? They say, well, I want them to read all the rest of this stuff. And I said, do you think they're reading it now? They're scrolling for the information. I'd suggest that if your bid allows it, please start with a clear statement of purpose. Like what is the bid for? Who should be reading this bid? So that vendors who don't know if it's for them or not can quickly determine whether this is something they ought to be in if you have the ability to add an environmental narrative like what is the reason why you're doing this bid i think that's always also very helpful what is the reason for it it's just courteous to allow vendors to understand whether the bid has anything to do with them and while i'm on that note really trying to make sure that you've scrubbed your solicitation for any place where there's requirements i've seen requirements sort of nested inside of the narrative in your technical proposal you should describe this well well now i have requirements in, in a narrative. I have requirements over there. So if you make it so that you can drain your requirements into one place, it really helps to deal with any issues of maybe splicing together multiple old bids, which is Frankensteining. So I have one bid and I've combined it with another one. I've had bids where the statement of what's required from a financial reporting perspective is different in one section than another section. And all that does is it creates questions that then have to be reconciled and then people having to come back and say, What is this for? And it just generates a lot of vendor questions. So now you guys get kind of the flow, right? I'm talking about the buyer experience. I'm talking about the vendor experience. So being a buyer for 400, this is a buyer's talking to vendors. Having a blank, blank does not guarantee you a statewide contract. Something a buyer would tell a vendor. Both of the words start with C. There you go, Lisa. Cooperative contract. Probably one of the number one things that vendors, new vendors don't understand is just because they have a cooperative contract doesn't mean that they automatically are able to come in and do business with you. So the market is saturated with cooperative contracts, as you guys know. This is a short list. I probably should make the more thorough list, but Sourcewell, Omnia, NASPO, ValuePoint, E&I, state co-ops, regional co-ops, Now there's groups like Compare Co-Ops and and, and Co-Procure that are trying to help create marketplaces around being able to understand all the co-op options. So sometimes new vendors will think, well, I have this contract, so therefore I'm automatically able to go and do work. Vendors need to better understand that they have to be able to make a business case on why that contract is adoptable by the entity and how it fits in with your contracting strategy. Um, Sometimes if it's a co-op contract, that has multiple vendors on it, there's reticence to pick up one vendor out of the contract because it'll mean that all the rest of the vendors will call and say, well, I wanna be on the contract too. And it just creates a lot of administrative burden. So I would expect for a vendor with a co-op contract to be able to make a good case why this contract solves a problem. And then I guess there's mixed protocol on whether they're supposed to talk to the end users first to be able to determine if there's demand or not. You know, if you have like a drone contract maybe you want to talk to the people in the facilities group first about whether they need drones for doing remote facilities reviews so that they're able to say why we have the contract but that's probably one of the number one things that if vendors are new vendors are confused about the process they think they're just automatically through because they have one of those contracts okay what's the vendor experience for 400 Connecting primes and blanks is something that procurement shops can assist in. What's the opposite of a prime? Subcontractors, exactly. So when I'm a vendor and you have put out, I'm a national vendor. So let's say one of you guys had a bid out for a procurement consulting project. And then within your your solicitation, you say you have to have a 20% MBE You need a 5% uh, service-disabled vet. You need to have a 5% local presence. I mean, there's lots of ways that the words can happen. And I have six weeks to review and I have six weeks to respond. Well, there's a huge game of needle in the haystack that happens every time one of these bids comes out, especially if it has national footprint. And the percentage goals have only gone up. I don't know what kind of goals you guys have seen, but I've seen goals. I had a bid recently, they had capped the budget and they said that they wanted the subcontractor mix to literally be over 50% of the response. So now I have a capped budget and I'm gonna to have to be able to incorporate subs to even respond. So it's very challenging to find people that can do work in that super short window. Just imagine the gun goes off and you have to go find those people. So finding subs who can directly contribute to projects and actually help fulfill the work and not just take notes and, Make copies is one of the biggest challenges in creating responses. So please have a central registry of people who are available and known to be able to do work. If you have NAICS, that's very helpful. If there's downloads of the RFPs where individuals can identify themselves as primes and subs, that's super helpful because then I know people who are interested. Or if attendees to the vendor conference, um, California has something where in order to view the document, you have to be able to you have to indicate interest. And when you indicate interest, you designate whether you consider yourself to be a prime contractor or a subcontractor. Super valuable. And then if you have longer term contract areas where you need to have long term relationships, or this is a sustained thing. So construction and facilities are the obvious ones. I see them do meet the prime kind of activities. The Texas facilities has a meet the prime series where they, they have the people who are known to do work and then they help to facilitate a webinar or an introduction of being able to say, here's who this thing is and here's the kind of subcontractor relationships that they have. So it just makes it so much easier to help create that. And if all that you do is just put a percentage in your RFP and throw it out, just realize there's a lot of work that has to go on the back in order to actually make that execute.